Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets Antenna Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. On today's show, we continue our preview of all things Wimbledon, the year's third Grand Slam, now officially around the corner, and we know it's our job here at Cracked Rackets to prepare you for all of the action. Examine the tournament from every angle, discuss the contenders for the singles title, the dark horse candidates who we think will help define the next two weeks of play, look at the Americans, look at the draws when they come out as well. Of course, we plan to do all of that here at Cracked Rackets over the course of the next couple of days. But here on today's show, we take a look at the dark horse candidates to do damage in the Wimbledon women's singles draw. Now, is ever Everyone outside of Igor Svantec, technically a dark horse to win the title. That's a topic we discuss here on today's episode. We also look at the players who we think could potentially shock the world, maybe just capture this 2022 Wimbledon title. Of course, you have to include someone like Beatrice Haddad-Maya in that discussion, right? She has never made a quarterfinal, let alone made a final at a Grand Slam prior in her career. And yet, do we have to consider Haddad-Maya, given her run of success here on the grass courts, a legitimate title contender? Again, that's a debate we have here on today's show. Of course, we had to have the Serena conversation for the second time in her career. Serena is going to be unseated at Wimbledon. Simply put, that never happens. I should say I'm throwing out the 2021 season, but Serena, seven-time Wimbledon champion, has had so much success. We got to see a little bit of her on the doubles court. Is that enough to now view her as a contender, some sort of dark horse at this year's event? We have that discussion. We look at all the other names from Kvitova, Georgie, all the way through Risk, and so much more here on today's podcast, but if you are going to try and cover all of those things in one episode, you better have some help along the way. Thankfully, I have throughout the course of our Wimbledon preview content, and joining me on today's show is a returning champion, Tennis Now and Tennis Majors contributor Chris Otto to help me tackle all of the aforementioned topics. Of course, before we get to that conversation, if you missed our Wimbledon Top 5 Men's and Women's Singles Contenders episodes, you can find them here on the Great Shot podcast feed. You can also go find the link to them on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, again, we'll have our men's dark horse conversation, our Americans conversation, then look at the draw over the course of the next few days. If you're looking for updates on what's happening this week at the tour level, head on over to the mini break podcast feed. We've got you covered there. All that website uh, content, excuse me, available on our website, crackrackets.com. A shout out as always to our friends at Turna for their continued support of our podcast. Of course, all of you are aware. If you see that turn of grip on someone's racket, you know it right away. That iconic bluish purple hue has been the grip for so many generations of tennis players. You yourself can jo- go join the Turner team today. You can learn about discounts, learn how to get uh, become a member, excuse me, of the Turner tennis team by emailing them at sales at uniquesports.com. Again, you mentioned we here at Cracked Racket sent you the hook you up with discounted pricing, hook you up with free samples, treat you like family. Email sales at uniquesports.com to join the Turner family today. With that said, let's get to it. A women's dark horse contender conversation heading into Wimbledon with the one and only Chris Otto.
Joining us on the podcast once again today is a returning champion on our Crack Racket show, someone you know best as a writer and contributor to countless platforms, whether it be for the U.S. Open, Roland Garros, Tennis Majors. You are certain to have read this man's work. You may also have heard his voice as the host of the Lucky Let Cord podcast. It is our friend Chris Otto joining us once again today. Chris, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing? Solid intro, as usual. I expect nothing less. I'm doing good. How are you, Alex? Well, doing better with the presence of your Detroit Lions shirt. Unprompted, you're rocking my team. And if I never have to see the Matt Stafford commercial of, so you're telling me I could do something for 12 years, love it a lot, and then go to a new thing and still love it equally again? It's like the first time it was cute. The 75th time, now I'm angry about it, but always a pleasure and made better having your presence on this show, Chris. And uh, of course, we have plenty. Plenty of Wimbledon to discuss. I am curious, big picture before we get into our women's dark horses here on today's show, Mm. looking at the grass court season. This grass court season has had a heightened importance, certainly given the fact that Wimbledon will not be offering points. All of these top players have chosen to compete in the warm-up events. No, we haven't seen Rafa. We haven't seen Novak. We haven't seen Iga, but just about everyone else we've seen compete at least once during the course of this uh, grass court portion of the calendar. It's been a good thing. I've enjoyed this grass court season, I would say, more than many years prior. And perhaps it's because we didn't have a 2020 grass court season and absence makes the heart grow fonder. But I'm curious if you feel similarly that this grass court season has just mattered more. It's, it, it depends on the player and the situation that player is in. And yes, it, it always is, is, even though they've lengthened the grass court season, making it what three weeks prep ahead of Wimbledon instead of two, it still feels like there's this sense of urgency. Like it's a mad scramble. The Monday you're still in Paris and your, your brain is still thinking about Rafa's 97,000 Roland Garros title. And already there are grass court matches happening. So that's part of it. Definitely a trip. I do feel there's a sense of urgency for certain players that really need to kind of spring into action. Like let's say an Holmes Jabor, if we're going to talk about women, you're looking for her to kind of pick her head up after a rough experience in Paris and hit the ground running. And there's definitely that importance and it happens so fast and you're always keying up for the middle week, which is also pretty crazy. And you're, and you're, you're looking and parsing through these results, trying to figure out, how much does it really matter that this player got bounced in her first round? Maybe it's it's their first match on grass and it came you know a couple of days after they arrived from clay. So it's very tricky and very difficult to figure out and very hard to handicap. That would be my take, my long-winded take. No, I would agree with many of those points, particularly given in the grass court season has started. So the, some of these numbers now may be slightly off, but at the start of this grass court season, seven of the top 20 WTA players had played 20 or fewer matches on grass courts in their careers. Iga's seven and five in her career on grass courts. Yes, there's a Wimbledon round of 16, But seven and five overall on grass courts, those sorts of things matter. I completely agree with you. And we had a guest earlier in the week posit the idea, not new, certainly has been floated around before, of putting a 1,000 level event during the warm-up portion of the grass court calendar. Is that an idea that is appealing to you? Sure. It's not something I think is that important, but it might 
because again, I think it's all frantic and everybody's just like in this mad rush to find form wherever they get it, whether it's in Eastbourne or whether it's in Mallorca or whether it's the week they're supposed to get it, which is typically Queens or high left for the men. To me, it's just a mad scramble. And I think if you put in a 1000, I really, I mean, what would you make Queens a 1000 ideally or? I would feel you'd probably have to extend the grass court season by another week. And the U.S. Open won't move because they like Labor Day weekend. They've monopolized it. Why wouldn't they? It's the best for the ticket sales. It's the best for showcasing the event. You just have a little bit more time on that Labor Day weekend. I think you would need the first week of warm-up events because that first week post-Roland Garros, just the players who are competing deep in Roland Garros would never compete men's or women's side in a 1,000-level event. So the earliest it can start is the second week. Well, what? You're going to do just two events, and then right after that 1,000-level event, you're going to get right into Wimbledon? No, you're going to have another week delay as well. So you just need one more warm-up week. Is that available on the calendar? Yeah, sure. Like, kind of. If you want to push back the Hamburgs or whatever comes the first week after Wimbledon, in theory, you could do that to the post-U.S. Open stretch, particularly given the uncertainty with China. But to your point, and this is where I agree with you most thoroughly, I don't need it. Like, I really like this year. I think this year epitomizes that fact where, yeah, for the Russians, the Belarusians, they need to play these events. For any player who earns significant points at Wimbledon, they need to play these warm-up events. It would be yeah. nice to find a way to continue to emphasize it in the same fashion while offering points at Wimbledon, but I don't, I don't need it. I, that's ultimately where I end up. Yeah, I mean, sometimes we want too much as tennis fans. We want grass to get that respect and, and to have zero masters where you see the other surfaces having, having four or five masters. It seems a little strange, right? And then you have Wimbledon, the crown jewel. I, I guess you have to just say it makes up for it all because it has the reputation of being the uh, the ultimate Grand Slam experience. I mean, I don't feel that way. I kind of look at them all equally and separately. But yeah, it's it'll be. I think in the I don't ever see it happening with the with what's left with, with what's available in terms of real estate on the calendar. It'll be very tricky. But if they did it, sure, it would be cool. It would be a new thing, and we'd all be excited about it. I don't know how much it would change the preparations because it seems like players. And correct me if if you think I'm wrong, but they generally need one two kind of events to usually there's kind of a flop and then a, and a good event or a good event comes first and then maybe a flop where they're generally just finding form over the process of, of the three weeks so i don't know if it matters if they have a 1000 or a 500 or not now the cliche find your footing is most accurate on a grass court because you literally need to find your footing and certainly as we get into our dark horse discussion, the players who have done that will be the names that you hear come up. And again, I always think it's worth emphasizing. We did not have a grass court season in 2020. And so many of these players under the age, you know, of 23, and you look right now in the WTA top 30, Iga's 21, you know, uh, you have someone in Radakanu, 19 years old, uh, Goff, 18 years old, Fernandez, 19 years old, Rabakana, still just 23, Anissa Mova, 20 years old. They just haven't played a lot of grass court matches, had one less opportunity with that 2020 absence to do so. There are a lot of unknowns as we come and approach this 2022 Wimbledon Certainly, again, I warned you beforehand, you know, you were asking me, what should I prepare for? I said, oh, we'll go on a tangent or two. I don't know what they're going to be yet. Now that we've started the podcast, I think I know what they are going to be. <clears throat> you talk about some of the things changing uh, on tour moving forward. 
I am anti wearing all white at Wimbledon. I think if you offered these clothing lines the opportunity to make their first Wimbledon specific line of not all white clothing, but something funky for Wimbledon, I think the designs we'd see would be spectacular. That said, we did have an announcement and I haven't talked about it yet on the pod and I want to talk about it with someone smart. So you're the guy I turn to on court coaching and what's going to be allowed on the tour moving forward. There's this idea, and some have strong are strongly uh, in favor against this ruling because they like the idea of tennis players being forced to figure things out themselves, and that individual aspect of the sport is what makes tennis so spectacular. There's also the line of thinking that well, don't you want to see these players at their best at all times when competing? And if coaching will allow them to do that, wouldn't it behoove of all of us to provide those opportunities where it doesn't, and it's not as though now there's those who can't bring coaches. That's a separate part of the argument we can get into, but as a concept of coaching, are, are you for it? Or are you against it? I'm mixed to be honest, Alex. Like I'm still kind of processing how people feel because I'm not the guy. It's not hurting my living. Yeah. Making it more interesting for a few weeks when we talk about it. I want to see how players and, and coaches feel. Typically, you tend to see the coaches want to coach more. That's natural. A lot of them are in favor. Some aren't. I guess if you wanted my gut reaction was to say, this isn't a big deal. It's fine. I'm not going to overreact. That's how I, that's how I kind of go after a lot of the news that comes out in the end. I don't think that much is going to be changing. You're going to see hand signals being allowed where they weren't allowed before. You're going to see very short contrite conversations between players and coaches that aren't really developed or nuanced. You're not going to get many secrets from a as a viewer's perspective from these conversations, it's not going to be like encore coaching. And their goal is to eliminate, eliminate controversy like that we see with Stefano Tsitsipas and his father, some players getting unfair treatment in terms of the coaching penalties they get. I still think they're going to be crossing lines and still getting those penalties. So in the end, I don't know if they've done themselves a service by changing the rules to what we have now, because I still think, and I was trying to look at it from an umpire's perspective, I still think they're going to have to look at it and say, this coach, Apostolos Tsitsipas, has again crossed the line, whatever the new line is in the sand, and we're going to have to penalize them. And there's going to be the questions of whether or not it's unfair, whether or not it's annoying. Well, is it going to help the quality of the tennis? If it does, and I like that point, and that's one thing I can get behind. If it gives a player a little clarity, if it, if it helps him kind of hit his trigger points and checkpoints during a match, then I sort of like it. Yeah. No, I think the big that would be argument number one in favor, argument number two from a fan perspective, the content. It should be mandated that those interactions are put on microphone. And while I understand those are private, intimate moments and there are ways to protect that, offer insight. How does a pro a professional player receive coaching and learning about those insights, learning about what's being pointed out? Maybe it's not as technical as, hey, you got to go a little loopier to the cross-court backhand and find him at, you know, a little bit lower in the court. It's maybe it's more broad of, hey, relax, slow down. You're forcing things. Just seeing those interactions, we'd all benefit from them. We'd all be entertained by them. Those are the two aspects in favor of it. And like, I don't think it's not as though it's not still Djokovic versus Nadal if they're receiving coaching. Like it's still those two out there making the decisions. 
hitting the forehands and the backhands point by point, deciding I'm going down the line. It's not like as Djokovic is setting on his backhand wing, you know, Vida's in the corner waving his arms above his head, and that means backhand line. Like, that's not the sort of coaching we're going to see. It's still going to be the one-on-one gladiator performance we all enjoy obviously you can tell and with my college tennis roots i'm pro coaching i just don't Mm -hmm. think it compromises any integrity like i don't see that aspect but i don't to your point i don't really care like i don't feel particularly strongly one way or the other and i'm glad they're at least trying it because why not yeah some people like to hang on to the fact that tennis was like the last sport that had this this element that where they weren't allowed to coach. Their athletes are out there, mano a mano, stranded, no choice. But they were, in reality, they're being coached and they're getting coached. And I think that people really like to hang on to it, but I don't think it really has helped the sport in the sense that I don't talk to casual viewers and they go, your sport's amazing because nobody's getting coached. Nobody even realizes that that's, that's a rule even. So I don't think it's gonna be hurt by the changes that are made in my opinion. I agree with you. And again, with that in mind, the product has been delightful. We have had three weeks of warm-up tennis. We now know what the 2022 Wimbledon field will look like with qualifiers being placed, uh, or qualifiers being named as well. Now, we don't quite have the draw, but on today's show, as promised, what Chris and I are going to do is look at the dark horse candidates entering the 2022 Wimbledon. We're going to focus on the women's singles event in particular here on today's show. And I always like to divide things into tiers here. It just helps me make sense, the organizational structure, plus who doesn't like ranking things? Ranking things always does well, always receptive because you can agree or disagree with those rankings. When I look at tiers of dark horses, and in the past, we've categorized dark horses, top 10 to 30 players who you think could make the quarterfinals or better, unseated players who you think could make the second week. I think those frameworks still hold true. But if I were to go by tiers of dark horses, I would think there are two. A tier one dark horse is someone who you're saying, I think you know this person can shockingly make a, a run semifinals or further. This person, unheralded, you know, unexpectedly, is going to make that sort of big jump. If it's a lower-seeded player, they're going to be in contention for the title. If it's an unseeded player, they're going to try and make the quarterfinal run. My question to you to start this conversation, you look at the DraftKings odds right now, Iga Svantec plus 140. The next closest person is Coco Goff at 10 to 1 talked about the difficulties of handicapping the field earlier, but with that handicap in mind, is everyone but Iga a dark horse in your mind, Chris? Is she that clear-cut ahead of the field, even given the aforementioned 7-5 and five career record on grass courts? Not as much as she was on clay, that's for sure. I mean, yes, I'll say to an extent, she's my pre-tournament favorite. She's a class above the rest. I think she's going to evolve in new ways on the surface rapidly. She's probably already done it. I haven't seen her practice sessions, but I'm sure she's got some ideas about how to make herself a more effective player on the surface. So yes and no. I think that the field, the gap between the rest and Iga is going to be a lot closer. There'll be opportunities. And just over time, she's down to slip up at some time. So it's it's inevitable that she she's going to have a little bit more difficulty probably in this tournament than she did in Paris. 
So with that thought in mind, and I would agree with you, I think Iga, if you have won 35 consecutive matches coming into anything, I don't care about the surface. You have to be considered the favorite entering the event. And certainly, not that we didn't miss Ash Barty during the clay court season, but you feel Ash Barty's absence heading into this Wimbledon more than anything else because she's the defending champion. She's the clear-cut favorite. Now, Simona Halep hasn't you know, the last time we saw her at Wimbledon, she won a Wimbledon title back in 2019. But yeah, <laughs> I, when I yeah when I look at the field, you know, again a tier one dark horse. Is there if if this player sh- wins the title, will I be shocked? <clears throat> and we talked about this on the contenders. Like I don't think I would be shocked if it's an own Jabour winning the title. I don't think I would be shocked if it's a Belinda Bencic or a Coco Goff, who in her two Wimbledon runs has made the round of 16, I believe, at both Wimbledons. You know, I I don't think I would be shocked if it's those players. But where this conversation starts for me, is Bianca and Drescu a tier one dark horse in your mind? Because David Gertler, who joined me for our Women's Contenders podcast, insinuated as much. I believe that uh, Bianca Andreescu is not a dark horse. I view her as well as just a top five contender, and she's into a semifinal this week uh, at, at one of the grass court warm-up events as well. In your mind, Andreescu, obviously, U.S. Open champion, has played fewer than you know 15, I believe, grass court matches in her career. Is she yeah. a dark horse contender to win the title, or would you not be shocked if it's her? I'd be shocked if it was her. I would not be shocked if she made a run and I do expect it. And I am very impressed by her grass form this season, watching her today against Kasatkina. She's moving really well. I, um, the court seems to be perfect for her right now. Dry in the backcourt. She looks like she, she looks very comfortable. She's playing with a lot of energy. She's played quite regularly. Now, if you look, she started in Stuttgart. Now she's kind of been playing every other week, pretty much that has stayed healthy positive mindset and the one in four record at tour level on grass coming into the season was an anomaly lack of experience hadn't played much on the surface you mentioned 2020 I mean I don't know if she wouldn't have been around anyway but I do think she's a player that can definitely surprise us all outperform her ranking significantly obviously she's what 65 now 64 I mean hard for me to imagine her winning it because it's just been like tomorrow will be her first semifinal since Miami of last year. I've had great expectations for Bianca ever since Indian Wells when she won that title and had her breakout season. And now I still do. I just think it might take a little more time. For me, a great performance would be second week, push into a quarter semis. And then who knows once you're there? Yeah, you can win. If we have this discussion in 10 days and she's still in the tournament, I'll say, well, I'm not going to be surprised at all. If you include her qualifying results now, 12 and eight in her pro career on grass courts. And you look for her this season, 11 and five, the five losses, Pliskova seven, six in the third. That was a fantastic match where she won what, like 17 straight points on serve or something crazy in that match. And seven, six in the third on grass. You can write that match off, you know, nine, seven in the breaker. Again, 11 and five this year, the losses, Pliskova, Bencic, Sviantek, Pagula, Sabalenka. There's not a bad loss on that list. She has gotten healthier. She looks, you know, again, as fit as one can expect for Andrescu to be, given how few matches she's played throughout the course of the season. And she just has that sort of firepower where on the right week, on the right surface, she can kind of do everything on a tennis court. There are five minutes in every match where you're just kind of like, 
is this the best player in the world? She has those sorts of weapons. I agree. I don't consider her a dark horse. I think she can just straight up win this title. Now, certainly, given that she won't be seated, if an unseated player wins a title, you think it was a dark horse run? We know better here at Crack Rackets, Chris. We have prepared our listeners appropriately. With that said, tier one dark horses to shockingly win the title. Is there anyone else? Names, uh, you know, again, Sviantek, Jabour, Bencic, Goff, Andreski would be the five names I really think can win the title. If you want to throw Halep on there, I guess that's fine as well. Just again, she has won Wimbledon, won it the last time she was there. Mm-hmm. Outside of that, like, I think now the dark horse discussion begins. Is there anyone you would say this player can win the title? Well, a lot would have to change in terms of the trends of, of these players that I might name right now, but Petra is starting to show some form. It's kind of, I'm starting to watch. I'm starting to pay attention. She's in a semifinal tomorrow. We know how much she loves the grass. This is Petra Kvitova, by the way. We know how important it is for her to play well at Wimbledon. Probably sometimes it matters too much to her. There's a lot of pressure. I'm wondering if this year, she has a horrible year by her standards. I think she's 13 and 13 right now. But three wins in a row on grass, obviously loves it, obviously feels good on the surface. Is she set up to all of a sudden return to form and make a surprise at Wimbledon? Who would be shocked if Petra Kvitova made a run at Wimbledon? I am thrilled, thrilled, Chris, that you brought up Petra Kvitova. I have a new category of player I'm just calling the shit up group where on the right week, when they are clicking and they are playing their power tennis and playing on their terms, simply put, they can... Petra Kvitova, according to Tennis Abstract, which offers a grass court specific uh, ELO rating, ranking players on just their grass court results, both over the past, uh, throughout their career and their recent form. She's 12th on that list, despite some of her recent struggles. But to your point about Petra, we are now, what, 13, 14 months removed we're going into the 2021 Wimble, uh, French Open, excuse me. She was one of the favorites to capture that title, had gone on the run and won the title in Doha and, you know, made a quarterfinal in Madrid, was playing some outstanding tennis early last season. And then, what, or maybe it wasn't 2020, what, what year am I blanking on here, where she fall, falls off the podium and hurts her ankle. I think that was at the French Open. Am I mistaken uh, where that happened? I believe I'm correct, but it's not that far removed. I'm not correct. Yeah, it was it was the same year as Naomi had yeah, a difficult exactly. And so, you know, again, it we're not that far removed from Petra being in that mix and playing extraordinary tennis. And, you know, unfortunately she was injured and wasn't able to play that full, you know, complement of events did make a semifinal last year in the run-up to Wimbledon, but loses first round to Sloan Stevens just clearly didn't have her form under her. You know, that said, you're absolutely right. You look for Petra Kvitova in her career on grass courts. We talked about the players with a lack of sample size. She's 62 mm. and 21. She's won 75% of her career matches on grass courts. You look for him, of uh, her, of course, at Wimbledon specifically. I mean, she won the title back in 2014, back in 2011 as well, has made the semifinals, you know, back in 2010, quarterfinals, 2013. Now, she hasn't had 
a run past the round of 16 at Wimbledon since that 2014 title run. Mm -hmm. But to your point, she's playing well this week. And we just see her, you know, whether it was today against Dart 3 and 4 playing on her terms. I thought the fact that she dropped that first set against Bolter and was able to come so strongly out of the gates in set number two. We just haven't been able to see, yeah, that much of that Petra throughout the course of this year. Again, when her power tennis is clicking, big lefty. Go ask the Jack Drapers of the world, the Ryan Pennistons of the world, the guy, oh my God, I'm blanking on the name, uh, Belletier who won yesterday and just has this loopy lefty serve. Like Petra's a more effective game uh, version of that game plan. And we know how successful she can be on this surface. Yeah. So when, and I will say 2019, I was out at Wimbledon and, and it was, I'm always kind of excited about watching her on grass at Wimbledon. And she won her first three matches was setting up for a run and lost to Joe Conta in the third set. That match could have tipped the scales for her. It could have been another run. She was playing pretty well. So so it's not like she's, yeah, you re- referenced 2014, but I don't feel like she's eight years removed from playing well at Wimbledon. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. Again, round of 16 in 2019 is not that long ago, and that was only you know two Wimbledons ago uh, yeah. with perspective. And so certainly if healthy, I like that as someone who would, ha- if things break right, if she's in the right place in the draw, you look for Kvitova, she's what, 31 in the world, so she will be seated given some of the absences absolutely a dangerous threat the only other player i would throw into tier one as a shocking run to the title and we've talked about her a lot over the course of the last few weeks here on our crack rackets podcast because she's yet to lose a grass court match is beatrice haddad maya now yeah the list of names chris and i went back looking because and i I only went back as far as 2015 and It gets a little dicey because there are players who win a week before a grand slam and then win a grand slam. And that's three weeks of victories, but for Beatrice Adadmaya, who reaches the semifinals this week, still alive in a third consecutive event, heading to Wimbledon. The only other like comparison I could find was what Casparu did on the clay courts last year. It's like him and Adadmaya. And that's really it. And Casper's came on the clay. And he made the final of the French Open on the men's side, similarly feeling wide open draw, particularly given where Djokovic Nadal fell in that draw. Like, again, we know about Iga. We don't really know about anyone else. And from a floor perspective, match in, match out, what the lefty Haddad Maya has done, rebuilding her ranking back inside the uh, top 35, playing over 175 matches in about a 26-month stretch. Yeah. It just can't be denied anymore. You know, again, I, the list of players who won two weeks in a row, Krachikova, Barty, Sviantek, obviously, who's won six consecutive events, but that's a little different. Sabalenka, Conteve, Collins, and Haddad yeah. Maya. Like, that's the list. It's a really good list to be on. It's amazing what she's done. You could call it a fleek. You could call it a, a fluke after Nottingham, probably, and get away with it. Although beating Allison Risk is not an easy task on grass and Maria Sakari. But then the fact that she goes to Birmingham, beats Petra Kvitova in the first round, wins the first set tiebreaker, gets through it in straights, beats Georgie, who we know is very dangerous on grass, any surface these days, beats Halep, wins another title, and is still alive in this draw via walkover today, but will face Petra in the semis. It's clear that not only is she a good player, you mentioned putting in the hard yards and doing all the work, but 
she's suited for this surface. She really kind of has a little bit of Petra in her. She's just a, she's kind of a smashing bash type player that, and has, and really benefits from her left-handedness in a way that not many others do. Yeah. Also moves extraordinarily well. And that length on a grass court, when it's just a little harder to find your footing, a little harder to change your direction, to have the extra two inches actually yeah. makes a difference. The range increasing. Yes. Yeah. Ex- ex- and so, you know, again, I think she has to be on the list. I, I think she's put herself on that list. She's going to be seated at this event. I do yeah. think I have undersold Simona Halep, who belongs either in tier one or just in the contenders conversation overall. I mean, again, Halep, Goff, Sakari to a lesser extent. So I would really just say Halep, Goff, Jabour, and Iga, of course. Those are the four players who can play phys- – and Haddad Maya has proven – can play physical tennis on a grass court. That it doesn't matter that this surface is slippery, that the ball bounces a little lower. They're still going to extend rallies. They're still going to get into their playbook. They're still going to make life miserable for you. And Simona Halep is one of just two players who ranks top 10 in both hold and break percentage this season. Like, yeah, was you know disappointing loss in the moment at the French Open – and then Jung Chin Wen becomes the only player to take a set off Iga in Iga's run to the title. So it's like, was it that bad of a loss for Simona in retrospect? Three sets? No, like not actually. And so I think she may belong in tier one. Any other players on your list, tier one conversation where it might be a shock title run? Well, let me stick with Halep if you don't, if you don't mind for Please. a sec. 13 out of 14 on grass, if we go back to her 2019 Wimbledon title, where she played probably one of the best or the best Wimbledon final on record with three unforced errors. She has figured out a way to play her brand of tennis on the surface. The only thing I think holding her back, and she's had a sneaky good year because you look at her ranking and go 19, you figure, well, she's not, she must not be winning a lot of matches. This is strange that she's not in the top 10. She is 25 and eight. And as I mentioned, 13 and 14 on out of out of 14 on grass, dating back to Wimbledon. The only person that's been able to beat her on grass is Beatrice Hadid Maya. And so that looks like a shaky loss when you see she fell to her in the semis at Birmingham. But here she is in another semi about to face Andrescu tomorrow, shaping up, in my opinion, to be a, a very pivotal player that, that could seriously make a run for this title. Like not surprising at all if Halep's deep in Wimbledon. Listeners were begging me not to do it because I do it on all too many shows, but we're going to have to play one of our favorite segments here. Good, good loss, bad loss for Simona Halep. 26 and eight overall on the year is Simona Halep. You look for her against opponents ranked outside the top 20 this season. She's 22 and five. You know, let's just again, let's look at all the losses and I defer to you here. Mm-hmm. Australian Open round of 16. She loses to Alize Cornet in three sets. I do think that was a bad loss. That was a well- tough one. I love I love the match. I love the moment yeah. for Cornet, but bad loss. Yes, agree. I agree with you. Ostapenko three sets. You know, two six seven six six. Love that scoreline was lopsided. Those first two sets in the Dubai semifinal were delightful. One of those things. Whenever you lose to Ostapenko, if she's playing well, you can always say good loss. Yeah. No, completely agree with you there. All right, here's I think an unequivocal one. Garcia first round Doha. That's a tough loss. Oof. Yeah, I would agree. Ega set my finals. Indian. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I missed it. But yeah, bad loss. Yeah. Ega semifinals. Indian Wells. Hellishly good loss. She played well. I was I was watching that in person thinking this is a contest. And it was for a while. It was one of the rare times that you see Ega um, having to switch on and find solutions in a match. Completely agree with you. 
own Jabour Madrid uh, Madrid quarterfinals. She had just beaten Goff and Bedosa. These are the things, you know. Yeah. I'd say it's it's in the middle, right? You're expecting some more follow through from Simone, a world class player, and you're thinking she's got her way back to the top. So you could look at it from both ways, I guess, good and bad. Yeah. The other ones are Danielle Collins, Rome. That one wasn't the greatest, but Collins played extraordinary. Um, Jung Chin Wen and Haddad Maya, as we discussed. So, yeah, again, for Simona Halep, 26 and 8 overall against top 20 opponents this year. She's 4 and 3, wins over Goff twice, Bedosa and Jabour. She belongs in tier number one. I agree with you. But yes, with that said, anything else on Halep, or do you have another tier one shocking winner for us? Shocking. I mean, to me, honestly, Alex, I don't think if it's not going to be Iga, I'm not going to be shocked by that many talented players yeah if, if they come through once if if and when Iga or if she is knocked out of the draw I think it's wide open and I think you, you again you have a lot of 15 potential winners of the tournament even players with with seemingly no form Sabalenka no way is she going to do anything in Wimbledon because I've countered I've expected her to do things despite how poorly she's playing at other tournaments and she just hasn't. So I'm assuming same thing, weird grass season final in the first week, first round exit in the second week. She's just so inconsistent. Maria Sakari, I'm waiting for her to play well. And I, I would not be surprised if she's deep at, at Wimbledon. And again, I say this all the time, but once you're deep, once you're quarterfinals, it's anybody's game. You can win it. I, Maybe this is a good setup for her again. No pressure, no expectations. She's not really playing super great tennis. Pliskova, I, don't, I guess she's not ready. I was thinking she might be. Mm-hmm. Those names aren't going to cut it. Ostapenko is another player that can definitely do damage and catch fire. No, Usually- oh, Ostapenko. I mean, oh, Pliskova probably, and I apologize for cutting you off. Pliskova probably belongs in that contender conversation as well, just with her serve. Like if she serves well, she's just in the ball game. Yeah, definitely. And she's kind of a queen of clutch. She likes to get in those tight serving battles with no, with very few break points in them. She knows how to win on the grass. It's just a matter of is the timing right for players that don't have great form in this tournament. And I think history has proven that you don't necessarily need to come riding in and off the title. You can just, as long as you're getting the matches, getting the practice, getting a couple rounds under your belt at, at a grass tournament here and there, Oftentimes, it's enough to get you to to the practice courts at Wimbledon and feeling good about your game. Yeah, completely agree. Well, with that in mind, then let's move over to Tier 2. And there were some names you mentioned that, you know, again, I think may find themselves in Tier 2. Sakari is always fascinating because I do think her floor is really good. But there are just some days where, you know, again, if you have those bigger weapons, you can hit through her a little bit. And, you know, there are days where even though she's improved the first serve win percentage for six straight years or seven straight seasons, it's like sometimes this first serve percentage is at 42 percent. And like those days are thrown in and it's just tough for her to manufacture those plus one opportunities on this surface. As I look towards tier two, though. You know, again, tier two, more traditional, just outperforming your ranking, outperforming your seed. If you're, you know, outside the top 16 seeds, it's getting to that second week, maybe pushing towards a quarterfinal. If you're unseeded, it's making that push to the second week, extending yourself past, you know, the rest of the field. I want to get back, and I apologize for the profanity, to the
possess the power tennis to, again, for lack of a better term, With an ab injury yesterday, I would say definitely Maddie. She's awesome at slams, so consistent, always seems to find herself in the second week, giving her opportunities to go deeper. Um, Amanda's got potential. It's hard to predict what, what she's going to produce right now. We saw that today. She was kind of leveled by Halep. There's, there's no, I don't feel like I can count on her results-wise at the moment. The problem, to your point, Anisimova in her career on grass courts, another one of those players who overall seven and six now with her results. And, you know, this is only her third season of grass court tennis and, you know, has played Wimbledon twice, has lost to Magda Lynette both times, one and two, one of them, you know, in a second round, the other in the first round. That yeah. said, the power tennis she can produce, you know, Magda Lynette, one of, uh, excuse me, Magda Lynette, Amanda Nisimova, one of just 11 players this season who does rank top 25 in both hold and break percentage, according to the Tennis Abstract Stats leaderboard. And she's actually one of just seven players to rank top 20 in both of those categories. She has that gear with her serve to play plus one tennis, the tennis you have to play uh, on this surface. And she's not a, a lefty. But she's a righty, and, and her backhand is that efficient as well. She can club that backhand return. But to your point on Madison Keys, you're absolutely right. That ab injury, uh, you know, probably definitely disappointing, but you look for Madison Keys, you know, top 20 in overall grass court-specific ELO rating, and you look for her specifically, you know, 2021-specific ELO rating. Madison Keys has been exceptional this season. She's been, you know, a top 25 player, top 20, 15 player all year long. You look for Keys in the points race right now. She's 11th, and yeah, it started with a really strong first month, but she stayed, you know, relatively consistent throughout the course of the year seems to, to your point, always find her best tennis uh, at the grand slams. And to another point you made, if Madison keys gets to the second week, you just want no part of her because if her serve is clicking, you're just on your back foot. You're at her will you're on her terms. And yeah, like I, I think if I'm saying who's the most, I mean, the most dangerous American, which American would I bet on going furthest? probably Coco Goff. But who's the American with the highest upside? It might be, if healthy, a healthy Madison Keys. Yeah, but, you know, I feel like, Alex, I feel like we're overlooking a, a very – a player that's ranked outside the top 1,000, hasn't done a lot lately, but she has some history at Wimbledon. Okay. The World number 1204, Serena Williams. Yes. Okay. So I'm so happy you led me there because I wanted to get there next. And, you know, Serena Williams is probably the ultimate dark horse contender at this yeah. point. And, you know, we got to see ultimate contender. And yeah, the problem is, yeah, exactly. She, to your point, you said it perfectly. She's not even a dark horse contender. She's Serena freaking Williams. Her grass court record is just remarkable. I'll bring it up here momentarily. But, yeah, we all know what Serena Williams is capable of when she's playing her best. We got to see her a bit in the warm-up action, in the lead-up, uh, obviously playing doubles this week. Now, unfortunately, Onjabur forced to withdraw uh, from the doubles and, you know, in the semifinal round. That said, look, when Serena was able to land the first serve, when her set, feet were set behind the plus-one ball, 
it looked like Serena freaking Williams. And of course, Serena Williams in her career at Wimbledon, 98 and 13, Chris, 98 and 13. You know, again, she's won the title, I believe, seven different times overall. And just the the, probably the best grass court player of the modern era, you know, men's or women's side. That said, 40 years old, you know, movement being what it is on this surface, difficult for any player, let alone someone who hasn't played a professional match since Wimbledon last season in singles. Yes. Where are you with Serena? Give her a good draw, people she can overpower and let her serve it up because I saw her yesterday with Owens in their quarterfinal at Eastbourne serving from 1540, three straight aces, kind of 95% power, precision right there. I, I reconnected with the appreciation for the cadence on her serve, with the wickedness of her tee serve, the way it, the action on it, the way it cuts away. And I'm thinking the challenge for Serena obviously is how well can she she hide her lack of, of movement with her amazing serve and getting the feet behind her in the serve plus one. It's going to be such an interesting challenge to see what she can do. She's fit in terms of she's not injured, mm-hmm. so we get to see what kind of miracle she can pull. And believe me, it will be a miracle. But then again, it's Serena Williams, seven-time champion, best server in the history of the women's game. It's like, I'm so excited to see where she lands in the draw and how she's going to stack up. If she gets a couple feeble opponents, round one, round two, round three, she could be in the second week. And that would just be so crazy and so much fun, regardless of how well she does or how well she moves or doesn't move and, I know the movement's going to be an issue. It's just a matter of what players are going to have the tools to actually make her move as much. Um, If if she can hit the ball the way she she does, we know she can. If she strikes the ball with precision and moves okay, she could be in for a little bit of a run and and keep us entertained, at least week one. You absolutely nailed it. And I'm going to throw out last year's Wimbledon where she was injured in the first round. Serena Williams prior to last year had made the third round of every Wimbledon that she'd played throughout the course of her career. She's now only played six seeds in the third round in her career because usually she's a top 10 seed. And, you know, coincidentally, Mm -hmm. I guess there must have been a bunch of upsets throughout her time. She's five and one against, you know, top 32 seeds in that round of 32 and, to your point, we you joke around here at Crack Records, we have Serena Williams Power Tennis Country Club, where you just hit a threshold of power tennis where you're dictating on your terms. Obviously, she is, you know, the best version of this form of tennis. And Naomi Osaka's got a corner house. Kvitova's got a nice, you know, house on the end of the block. And Ostapanko's the house where you never know, are the lights going to be on on Halloween? Like, if they are, she's going all in. If not, they might just be lights off this week. Um It's Serena Williams. Like it's her power tennis country club. You're absolutely right. When she was, when she hit the return cleanly, it looked like Serena freaking Williams. And you know, again, Gladwell's 10,000 hour rule. She epitomizes that she's hit a million forehands, a million backhands. Everyone knows what she's capable of. Doubles isn't singles. It's just not. And it's really tough to judge Serena Williams and, I don't think anyone is carrying expectations for her entering this event. We're all just excited to see her again, but we all know what she's capable of playing. Now, the last time Serena Williams played Wimbledon unseated to, uh, excuse me, 
1998, June 1998. So I was two and a half years old. Uh, shout out to it. Um, that's the only other time she's played Wimbledon unseated. That was, again, like her literally her very first Wimbledon, I believe. Um, yeah, she uh, loses that match to Virginia Pascual. Pascual. I hope I got that right. Um, in that 98 Wimbledon, that's the last time Serena played this event unseated. Again, has been a seed in each and every other competition. That's the biggest question. Where does Serena Williams draw? Now, let me posit this to you. Good for the tournament, bad for the tournament. Round number one, Serena Williams versus Iga Swiatek. Great for the tournament. It's just an unfortunate one for, um, for everyone Serena. else. Serena. I mean, I think it, it would be a tricky one for Iga, but I think she has all the tools necessary to to put Serena in places she doesn't want to be. She needs to avoid that kind of a player at all costs, right? She needs to get a high ace count and a high unreturnable first serve count, and 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 then slowly but surely get her footing and her timing and these other things that she might be able to use to win a competitive match. But I think there are some people she can serve off the court and, and beat. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's going to be fascinating to see her playing more than anything else. Just again, for Serena Williams to play this main draw. We are all looking forward to it. All right. As we look at the rest of the dark horses, and I don't mean to disrespect Jessica Pagula, who's just going to get to another round of 16, because that's just what Jessica Pagula does. As we're looking, well, well, you know what? We're going to talk about the Americans more on a different podcast, but I do think, well, I'll open it up for you. I think there's another American who belongs in the tier two dark horse, just going to outperform her seed. But is Allie Risk count as a tier two dark horse? Or is it at this point, it's like, no, she's going to beat a seed and she'll get to the round of 16. We expect her to do well. Yeah. She's got, she's a great grass court player. I mean, some players just have the game and the mentality and the comfort level. And she is one of them. And that's why she's a past quarterfinalist. And I think every year she plays it, if she's in good form, has, has a shot to make it deep. It's, it's her strong point. It's her surface. This is her, this is her time to shine. Absolutely. Well, then with that in mind, let's open up tier two. Give me some names, some either unseated or lower seated players you may, you think will exceed expectations during this fortnight. Kasakina is having a great year on all surfaces. And the problem has- is Kasakina is Russian, isn't she? Oh, you're right. What am I thinking? No, but, but to your point, And so let me ask you this tangent. Number three, I love it. I don't like to, to use the term asterisk because I just think it's unfair. I will steal the bill Simmons and say, I don't mind a footnote. How big is the footnote? No Russians, no Belarusians, no points. Does that only matter with the end result, or will you be thinking about that throughout? My God, I was thinking about Sabalenka too, and I haven't done that on the men's side much. Yeah. But yeah, that's it's a it's really, you know, there are a lot of different perspectives on it. It's it's a shame that some of these players don't get to compete just because we like to see them compete and see what they can do. And yeah, there will be a little bit of a footnote or asterisk. I don't think in his in in the over time it won't matter at all, mm-hmm. in my opinion. In the present it's going to open up a lot of opportunities, a lot of good players. Hachinov's a guy who usually does damage. He's great on grass. Um, that opportunity is going to be there for someone else. Who, who will take it? Will it be Alex Dimonor instead of uh, Karen, Karen Hachinov? Will it be Francis Tiafo? So Sabalenka, of course, was runner-up at Wimbledon last year. If I'm, am I mistaken or am I not mistaken? No, I believe so. No, semifinalist last year. And, yeah. Lost to Pliskova, so there's a spot open for somebody i think it was going to be open anyway but it definitely makes a difference that we're missing a lot of you know high quality players of course daniel medvedev 
I feel like he had to kind of kind of just deal with his emotions and kind of manage his himself and those last three weeks on grass where he actually played quite well had a couple strange results in the finals but felt like he was growing his grass court game and now it's time for Wimbledon and bye-bye Daniil the world number one well should he be the world number one is another conversation have for a full, another full podcast but the world number one is now not going to play Wimbledon so there's a huge opportunity for someone to step in and I think Medvedev would have been a guy that is a guy that has a pretty bright future on grass I don't think it's his best surface he's a hardcore guy probably mainly but he seems to be figuring it out and getting pretty comfortable on it no another one who would be in this list on the men's side on the Russians since we're just mentioning it would be a Karen Hachanov who has made the third round or better in all four of the Wimbledons that he's played quarterfinalists last year a guy ranked 22 but has proven three out of five sets this surface in particular his best yeah. is as good as anyone's. And yeah, I, I agree with your perspective. And certainly we've talked about that here on this show, but it's always interesting to hear uh, what you have to say on that as well. With that in mind, I did not mean to cut you off. I know Kasaki, you know, I, I couldn't agree uh. with you more. She was on my initial list. And talk about, again, her, Kudermatova, who's top 10 in hold percentage. Good servers are good on grass court. Samsonova, who won a title on the grass courts last year. Like all yeah. of those players would have fallen into this category. And so to more broadly, uh, this category was hard because it's kind of like, I mean, the, the, the cop-out answer is just to say everyone. Like everyone's a tier two, two dark horse because yeah. you never really know if we've learned anything on the George, tour. Georgie's one for you. Ooh, make the case. I like that one. She's just she just knows how to play on the surface. She's got some, got a bit of a pedigree at Wimbledon. I think she's got a quarterfinal to her name. I believe it was maybe 2018 where she faced Serena. She's obviously playing well. Did had a good performance in Roland Garros. She's just, I think, honestly, I feel like you never know what you're going to get from her. But it, there's always the chance for an upside surprise the way she takes the racket out of her opponent's hands she's just relentless in that regard and i feel like grass is the perfect surface for her to shine if she's playing well yeah. and gets get some matchups that she needs that also do we do we cover benches do we have her in our so, tier one so interesting uh well just to follow up on that by the way i I think that's a, a great call on Georgie, who we've seen have success here early on. And, you know, you look for Camilla Georgie, who certainly it, it runs a little bit hot and cold, but absolutely possesses that sort of power tennis where you feel like she is on her terms when she's swinging freely. And, you know, she's earned now, what, five wins, six wins here on grass courts leading into Wimbledon. That's going to be up there yeah. with anyone not named Haddad Maya. Those sorts of things matter. Mm-hmm. On the bench, itch note. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Quarterfinalist in 2018 would be the stat for. Yeah, no. And on the bench, it's note. Yeah, I just think she's not a dark horse. She's just straight up a contender. Yeah. And, and so, and so, yeah, so she was a tier one for me. Um, I mean, when I look at some of the other names, it is interesting. It's tough. Like, by the way, I feel like we both would be justifiably roasted if we did not include Angelique Kerber, semifinalist last was year. Yeah. Oh, perfect. Can, can you walk me through some of the stats as well? Just again, because for Kerber, semifinal last year, a former Wimbledon champion, certainly. But I mean, what what is it about her grass? Like, again, it, I, I she's one of those players who can play physical tennis, in my opinion, on a grass court. Yeah, I think what is it about Angie, right? Maybe yeah. he doesn't mind the ball being knee high. Yeah. And 
I think she doesn't need it to be, you know, she doesn't need to have this waist high, sh shoulder high contact point. She can go down and get ball. She's got great legs, great fitness, and is just comfortable with the, with the slice and, and just has a kind of a nice backhand that seems to really make inroads on the surface, whatever it is, it just, you, you just know that she's going to be a threat. Basically. I, I feel like it's her best surface of all of them. Oh, I, I would agree with you how well she moves the ball, just that ability to change direction. And yeah, again, one of the few players who can just play physical tennis. She's third in tennis abstracts, grass court specific ELO rating. It's Jabour, Sviantek, and Kerber. Okay, well, you triggered me there because I'm try trying to explain. She's able to expose, and grass is the surface where you can do this the best. It's the hardest surface to play defense on. She's able to expose other players' movements, make them play defense, put them on the move make them uncomfortable. That really wears opponents down. And so what you alluded to, grinding, able to play grinding tennis on the grass. I think that's how she does it. Yeah, absolutely. I have a name for you. Curious where you are. And this is like overperforming, meaning I could see her in the second week. How about Ali Van Utvink, who currently number 46 in the world? You look for her here on the grass courts. I believe 12 and 2 is her final record overall in the lead up to this uh, Wimbledon. Now she won an hundred K event in Surbiton where she didn't play any top 50 opponents. She wins the 125 in uh, as well, where I don't think she played any top 50 opponents as well. That said beat Mertens, you know, played Sabalenka seven, six in the third played Anisimova seven, six in the third. Does she have a signature victory? No, but she's beaten everyone she's supposed to beat. And yes, she could draw a seed first round, but if it's outside of a top 25 seed or if it's an unseeded player, I just think she's the sort of person who's going to beat who she's supposed to beat. And as we both know, that's half the battle. Yeah, she's a powerhouse. Yeah, <laughs> she's, a, she's an impressive player to watch in person. And yeah, you're right. She's done some damage at Wimbledon already. She's always pretty consistent, as you said, on, on the surface. It's a great call. It's a great I call. This is a stupid take. I'm just going to acknowledge it before I even give it. Watching her play reminds me of watching footage of 1990s Andre Agassi. Like, that's how he played in the 90s on grass court. She's got that Eastern grip forehand that she kind of scoops up the line, and it's just, like, it's a little 90s-y. Yeah, yeah, it is a throwback game. I enjoy watching her a lot. I, I, play is not her best surface by any means, but I got to check her out live at Roman Garros, and it was just like, this is phenomenal. She's a real force out there, physical force, big, a big woman that can that can really spank the ball. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And, you know, again, some some other hot takey ones from the recent uh, time stretch. How about Harriet Dart, the uh, who I believe will be in the main draw? I don't know if she's awarded a wild card or got in on her ranking, but I just like how she's played over the past couple of weeks. Like, I just like her forehand. It's a weapon. Dare I say a dart. She looks, uh, yes, the dark. She looks so good. I think never had reached a quarterfinal before this grass court season and has reached two out of the three events. The other one was, I think, around a 16 loss to Hallow. Mm -hmm. So she's playing as good as she can possibly play. I expect that to continue. Nice little draw that favors her. I think, yeah, you could see that could be a real big story for the British press in the first week of Wimbledon for sure. 25 years old, to your point, has beaten Georgie, Vekic, Teichman, Kostyuk, Brangle, and Osorio. That's a nice complement of wins for Dart here in the grass court season. The losses, Kvitova, Halep, Risk, 
you know, that risk went in three sets. No shame in that. She's been excellent. Absolutely excellent. And at 25 years, or yeah, 25 years old, turns 26 at the end of July. This is when those sorts of runs happen. You know, again, in this modern era, sometimes it takes a little bit longer for things to click. Things clicking right now for Dart, who I believe will be at a new career high ranking come next week. All right. Again, now we're now comes the fun part where we get to dig in and pull the fun names. Give me the rest of your list here. Any any other names here? Tier two. I'm going to do a scroll as as we chat. I'm going to Kostyuk. Kostyuk. I just Kostyuk has main character energy. She's going to make a final run at some point in her career. And that starts eventually. Yeah. I could definitely see a few wins. Yeah, that's where like a round of 16 now. You're right, not ready for the big jump, but something funky where just the power tennis, the athleticism. I call Kostyuk Andrescu light. Like it's like Andrescu 0.85, which is a hell of a player, by the way. There's a lot of similarities between them. And I, I do think she's headed for bigger and better things and, and uh, you know, is capable of doing some damage. How about my pet project for this year has been uh china's uh zhang kinwen yeah i'm not announcing the name but she's got i think little to no grass court experience and she just lost to alicia parks at at the uh at the bet one open which says a lot about probably her level of experience on the surface but i'm still dying to see what she can do and if she could at least start building to a future that that um to a future, you know, like start evolving as a grass court player, but clearly she's going to be a force on hard courts and clay. And if she can get her feet underneath her on grass, I don't see why she wouldn't be able to. She's got a great serve. She's got a lot of power. She is a good mover, especially for her size. I don't expect a lot from her, but I honestly wouldn't be surprised if she if she gets into a second week and because she's just a big match player and it's grass. It's not the grass that we're talking about of the 1970s, 80s. It's, it's a different kind of grass where clay court players and heavy hitters uh, that need a little time can actually do okay on. Yeah, you know, to defend the junction when lost to Alicia Parks, A, Parks has weapons. Like, oh man, does the young American, she can hit the ball. But that was also a schedule loss. Junction when had won the Valencia 125K the week before and literally to go from the clay courts there, the next day you're playing grass courts. I'm not excusing it. I'm just saying that happens on the schedule with how quickly things uh, proceed on the WTA tour. I agree. I just think she's going to be good everywhere. Like that's a great pick. And when you're good everywhere, you start somewhere like why not this tournament for her playing this Wimbledon main draw, you know, obviously first opportunity to do that. Yeah. I, 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 I think it has to be a good pick. Like she's just on that list of under 21 players. You have to watch. I'm sad Clara Tawson's not healthier because oh. I just feel like Wimbledon is a pl- well, I mean, just everywhere is a place she's going to thrive, but it's just been a tough year for the 19 year old. I'm looking at some of the young names now because you bring up some of them, like the Baptistes of the world or the, you know, or Rakamovas of the world, like who I, I'm not sure we're going to see in these events, but, you know, because that's always a category of dark horse, right? The young players who are going to pop. Yeah. It, it, it's tough. You know, again, I don't know if they're uh, maybe an Ann Lee, like maybe. Definitely. And Claire Liu is another one that's yeah. out on the surface. I'm, I'm waiting for their breakthroughs to come. They've had their mini breakthroughs. The one yeah. I think I remember is 2018. Claire Liu, who's a former Wimbledon, either runner up or champion. And Ann Lee is the, is the runner up or champion. They played in the final in the juniors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I believe I'm, Claire Liu wins that final. Claire Liu wins over Ann Lee. Okay. So both of them clearly are pretty comfortable on the surface. I remember 
Claire Lou in the second round against Kerber, the year that Kerber won and, and pushing her quite well out on one of the outside courts thinking, who is this kid? And, and damn, is she going to be a good player on grass? I think for, for her, a lot of times it's the confidence that's the issue, but I can definitely see strides being made by either of those players. Shout out to you, Claire Lou, knocks off Anley, 625762 in the final of the 2017 uh, Wimbledon Juniors. Looking at that, uh, all right, now I know what I'm going to be doing for the rest of my afternoon is just looking at these past Wimbledon championship events to go and look through and see, are there any players with that sort of pedigree who you could turn to? You know, Diana Yastremska, worth noting, former junior Wimbledon finalist back in 2016. And her yeah. firepower, you know, if you watch that match between her and Ostapenko, those are just two players who were hitting big, hitting hard, going for their shots, the sort of things you need to do. Uh, you know, Yastremska has that sort of uh, athleticism as well. Oh, man. All right. Listen to these quarterfinalists, 2014 Junior Wimbledon. Look what you've unleashed on me, Bring Chris. It. Bedosa, Vondrusova, Ostapenko, really? Rusa, all in the quarterfinals. Ultimately, Ostapenko beats, oh, Shmidlova, uh, Shmidlova, excuse me, in three sets in that final. Makes me wonder why Marquetta hasn't had more success on grass. Yeah, no fair. And Helena Kalanina, who's, I think, the 0.85 version of Hadad Maya Halep, she makes third round there before getting knocked out by Ostapenko. I think that's another name I could see, depending on where she is in the draw, getting to that round of 16. Uh, with all that said, I mean, I think we threw out 25 names. So there, there's a list of dark horses for all of you. Now, the draw has not come out. But and perhaps you're not ready to make a pick until that draw comes out. So if you are are not, I will not feel offended. That said, as you look at this Wimbledon singles draw, given Iga's lack of Wimbledon just Jeez. matches under her belt, and of course I believe, if memory serves me correct, Iga Swiatek, a former junior Wimbledon champion herself, back in 2018, Coco Golf uh, and Emma Raducanu making the quarterfinals of that junior Wimbledon. I mean, she's just so good everywhere. And so is that the pick for you? Or does that have to be the pick at this point, the default? Has to be, yeah. Has yeah. to be. And um, Tomas Witkarowski, former coach of AGA, has, you know, as we know, has shaped up her game this year and made her a much more aggressive player, trusting her aggression. She can still do the defense. She can still back off and play and play more of a hybrid style. But now she's, I think she's been working on her serve quite a bit. I don't think her serve is her strong point yet compared to all the other assets in her game, but I'm sure she's been working on it in these last couple of weeks after Roland Garros. And I expect her to be really ready for the challenge. She's familiar enough with the surface. I don't think she's going to be handicapped at all. I feel like oh, nobody matches up with her right now. And it's going to take a lot for someone to beat her. I, like I said, I think it's more likely that she'll lose here than it was at Roland Garros, but I still think she's my, you know, pretty heavy favorite. I would, I would never bet my house. <laughs> never want to bet your house. That's my advice to anybody out there who like gamble on tennis, but I would, you know, I would bet a small portion on her. No, that's what I like to hear. And I do think it's going to be enjoyable. Now, let me ask you this hypothetical. Barty says first week of the grass court season, you know what? I'm going to play Wimbledon and she's fit by the time Wimbledon begins. Would you pick Iga or Ash on this surface? And this is a, I'm supposed to look at this as if it really happened. and As if it really happened. Exactly. As we, as we said, ta final tangent for Party, you. Time has come and gone, I think, unless she spends a lot of time mounting a comeback. She couldn't just step back in. I think she'd get 
um, I don't think she'd be ready for it. I mean, but in, in an ideal world, Barty's best grass course tennis would, would still be better than Iga's, I think. If if there's no, I'm retired, I'm playing golf, I'm done with the sport, and you know, all these mental things that would play into the performance of an athlete. If you just looked at it, strictly grass court game, you got to go with Barty, right? I would agree with you. That's why I'm so fascinated to see what Iga looks like on this surface, because yeah. We, really, yeah, we really don't know yet. Yeah, I think we I think we can imagine, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's half the fun. I think she's well on her way to, you know, winning all the slams. It doesn't matter what surface they're on. And I'm sure she covets that Wimbledon crown just like so many other players do and have found a way to win the Djokovic's of the world. Look at no this is this is a women's tennis conversation, but I'm always amazed by how well Novak Djokovic has done at Wimbledon. I wouldn't have been able to imagine that 10 years ago that this would be potentially his his best slam. He's it's, won three in a row. It's crazy. Yeah. You know, that he'd be potentially as good as Federer when it's all said and done on grass, which is quite remarkable. I didn't mean to change the subject. I know that's somebody else's territory for tomorrow's podcast. No, <laughs> this is again, we said we'd pontificate here on today's show. That's what we've done best. Yeah. You look at Rafa as well. It's like he's made five Wimbledon finals. He's also made five U.S. Open finals. It's like he's been ridiculous there as well. These guys have just been ridiculous. And no, certainly, again, as you look at this Wimbledon, at the track record at Wimbledon, I mean, Serena has been dominant there for so long and has really sort of prevented other players from breaking through consistently at this event. And that's why this one does feel open because there is no clear cut front runner. Yeah. Simona's sort of a defending champion, but not a definitive contender in the way, you know, Barty would be if she had never stepped away from the game as a defending champion or Ego was yeah. entering the French open either. Barty was entering the U uh, the Australian open this year. It's going to be fascinating watch all of the action unfold and with that said chris do we get to read your fantastic work throughout the course of the fortnight yeah i'll be grinding away from the home office unfortunately i will not be traveling mm. so uh, i'll be writing for tennis now tennis majors quite a bit um and you know tweet i think i'm going to try to tweet a little bit more i've been so busy at rolling Garros. It was so busy, I hardly got to tweet. And I kind of missed that element of enjoying the tennis with other people like yourself out there and mixing it up and, you know, throwing out some opinions or stats or whatever. So I hope to do a little bit more of that. So hopefully I'll see some of your listeners out there. We look forward to it. It's at the fan child, correct? Correct. Yeah. How could I miss it? One of my favorite Twitter follows and certainly always a pleasure to get the chance to chat with you, Chris. Hope you enjoy the course of Wimbledon. And of course, there's always a spot available for you on this show. I appreciate you having me on. Um, enjoy Wimbledon, and let's talk again soon. As of course. Take care, my friend. Cheers. Fan, then you could be. You could find all of it at the Fanchild on Twitter. He'll be writing for tennis now and tennis majors throughout the course of the fortnight. That is Wimbledon, of course. As I mentioned at the top of this podcast, we're covering Wimbledon from all angles. We've now covered our men's and women's top five singles contenders for the crown. We've talked about our women's dark horses. Still plenty of more preview content to go as we try to prepare all of you listeners for the year's third Grand Slam. Of course, all of that content available on our website, CrackedRackets.com. If you're looking for immediate updates on everything happening on tour, head on over to our mini break podcast feed. Even more immediate updates available on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. I am at AL Gruskin. We're also at Cracked Rackets. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the 
of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Shout out to our friends at Turner as well. Remember, email sales at uniquesports.com to join the Turner family today with all that said for the fantastic Chris Otto, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Turner and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot. And we'll see you all next time. Thanks, everyone.